going on everyone welcome back it's jay scott it's the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks for tuning in and stopping by we do appreciate it we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great network of music related podcasts there's a lot of different podcasts about music on that platform uh we are just one of many but there's something for everyone's taste so go check it out at pantheonpodcast.com as well as their social media, Pantheon Pods, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can do the same on all three of those platforms with The Hook Rocks. Just search up The Hook Rocks. And follow us, subscribe to us on any uh, podcast platform. We do appreciate it. And you can get all the latest episodes. We've, uh, we're approaching 500, so we've got a lot for you to listen to. Don't forget to set your app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone and you can enjoy the ones we've done previously. Recently, we've had some great episodes. We had Bourbon House, the great band out of Wisconsin, on the New Music Spotlight. We had Scott Gorham uh, from Thin Lizzy with our co-host, Don Jameson, co-host of That Metal Show, or used to be co-host of That Metal Show. So we talked with Scott for a good hour and a half about Thin Lizzy. He shared so many stories like... What, what it was like to see Gary Moore, see Eddie Van Halen play for the first time, opening up for ZZ Top, a whole bunch of stuff. You definitely will enjoy it. We've also had Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick on, as well as our live album review, our quarterly live album review of Rush Exit Stage Left. And we had Professor Skylab on talking about vintage audio systems. We also recently talked with George Lynch from Lynch Mob and Dokken about a couple of his new projects too as well. So a lot for you to take in, a lot for you to enjoy. Please do so. Um, We've got another new music spotlight for you today with a band that I've been looking to interview for a bit now, and it's the band called The Weathered Souls. We've got Holden and Brock from the band, and we're going to be talking with them. What's going on, guys? How's it going? How's How's it going? It's going, man. Uh, it's just another Wednesday. It's hump day. It's the middle of the week. And uh, just ready to talk some music with you guys. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's album release day for us. Comes out tonight. It comes out it's tonight. 11. So it's a day early. Okay. So it's a Thursday release. Well, it's, it's technically technically 11 p.m. Uh, because it goes off of uh, uh, East Coast? Eastern time? Yeah, yeah. Eastern. Yeah, it's off of Eastern. So it'll be midnight there. 11 o'clock here and she'll be she'll be dropped tonight awesome well we're gonna get into that we've got lots to talk about but as we always do every time we have a first-time guest on the show um it's really the essence of what we're all about just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in every rock fan has a moment whether it's a song an album a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll what was it for you guys 
Uh, for me, I was probably 13, and I had a family member take me for my birthday to a Black Crow show, my very first concert. Um, and I knew right then and there, you know, I was hooked. Um, and, and, and I was already playing instruments at the time. I wasn't so much playing instruments, um, as heavy or as, as well as I am now, but I was, that's, that definitely the Black Crow show that pulled me in. And, uh, I was like, that's how I know I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So, um, I consider them a rock band, you know, Southern rock. Uh, So yeah, that, 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 that stole it for me, that show. For me, it was definitely quite a bit different. Um, I didn't grow up around the rock scene or anything like that. Um, Holden actually introduced me to a lot of the rock music that I listen to, um, to this day. So black hearing Blackberry smoke and, uh, waiting for the thunder, that song. I don't know what it is, man, but just, Everything about that, the melody, you know, the the drum beat, like, it just, it hooked me, man. It, listening to that song, you know, you picture yourself on stage, and that's kind of how it translated for me. You both got the Blackberry Smoke and the Black Crows, so there's an ongoing theme between the two of you. Um, Black Crows, obviously, you know, a legacy artist that started in the late 80s or early 90s would Shake Your Moneymaker. Yep. I had the pleasure of seeing them a couple of years ago here when they did their they did their anniversary tour for Shake Your Money Maker. They did the the whole. I album. saw that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that wasn't the same because there was no original members except for Sven Pippen and Rich. But it yeah. didn't feel like the same show. I will say it was exactly. not the same well, show yeah. that I saw. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, and then Blackberry Smoke. God, I've seen them ten plus times over the years. Just a phenomenal. Phenomenal band. We, I've had Paul and I've had Charlie on um, the show. Nice. They're just awesome. an incredible act. They're just in- awesome. Yeah, I was. Uh, we we were on the same bill with them for the Firewater Festival last year, and we ended up taking a couple late shows, like a couple weeks before we found out. Um, and they were playing that Friday, and we ended up having a show on the Friday, so we didn't get to see them, and I was really upset about that. Have you ever seen them live? I've not. That would oh. that would have been the first time. <clears throat> they are one of the best live acts around, bar none. I mean, they are just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, so good in terms of just their performance. It's almost like you're if you close your eyes, you think you're listening to an album. That's awesome. Yeah, they're just great. So from that moment, for the both of you, you know, Blackberry Smoke, Black Crows. Where did it grow grow into? I mean, you mentioned. Uh, Brock, that you kind of had a little bit of a different experience. What was your your experience before Blackberry Smoke with music? Definitely more country. Um, sorry, we um, we kind of started off as a more Texas country sound, and that was what our first couple releases were. And you know, as we progressed more and more, Holden, he's uh, um, he's the music guy, so typically he'll write the music, and then if I am on and so just he started writing more and more heavier stuff and it just became more and more fun to play and finally it was like i wasn't playing acoustic at all during the sets and it's just like wow this is a lot more fun you know we get to move around more and the crowd seems to be more into it like holden had said something yesterday like the more fun we're having on stage the more fun the crowd is having out there so that just kind of grew into what we are today So 
after you know Black Crows, you know, with you holding, where did it go from there? Where where did your musical journey take you from? From that moment? Oh man, I've always been. I've lived in Texas my whole life. Lived in the same town my whole life, and it's a pretty country town. Um, so of course, I grew up uh, hearing country. I never like that was never my first choice, just because I heard it and I was around it every day. Um, so one that show that once I once I went to that show, I I just kind of started diving in, you know. Um, I'm a music guru. Like I love production of music. I have a music studio. So that, that, that show kind of opened up my eyes to more than just the show because it, you know, obviously the show is the fun part for us. Um, but honestly, like my personal preference on, 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 on music, I like the aspect of creating music, uh, behind the scenes more than I do performing it. Honestly, I like being in the studio. I, I feel like that's where I'm my best musician. Um, and so just seeing them and just how good that they were, um, it just made me want to be better at everything, you know? And so, um, I just took, went home and basically, you know, you ever watch a movie or a, you ever go to a game and like all you want to do is be in the game or you want to like do what they're doing in the movie. You watch Fast and Furious, you want to go drive a car fast. You go to a rock show, you want to go play a rock show and kind of that lit a fire into me, you know? So, um, it's been that just that one show pretty much just pushed me. And I, as far as music sound goes, I've, I've stayed to that that uh, sound for the most part for my whole life. Southern rock, um, just gritty, you know, um, country boys that play rock and roll. Leonard Skinner, of course. Um, and I like new stuff too. Like Rival Sons is one of my favorite bands. One of my biggest inspirations on music. We actually just got off the road with them. It was awesome with them and Whiskey Myers. Um, so my musical spectrum is all over the board. You know, I like, I like a little bit of everything. Um, but the, the crows and that, that Southern, that Southern sound and that heavier sound is definitely kind of what has stuck with me over the years. Um, as far as my writing and preferences, what I like to listen to. You know, with your approach to music, you mentioned that, you know, being doing things behind the scenes in the studio is kind of where your sweet spot is. How did that grow into that? I mean, obviously, you you became a musician because of what you saw on stage. How did that transition into becoming more involved in the studio, writing more music, and doing things behind the scenes? Interesting question. I so I hadn't really done much studio work when I was younger. Um, when I started playing in bands, I was probably fourteen, fifteen years old. Uh, I graduated high school early. And went on the road with a guy named Casey Daniels, who's a local Texas country guy, and he'd been doing some pretty good stuff. And uh, I, I left that gig. I feel like every gig has kind of been a stepping stone to get to this point that I'm in now in my musical career. Um, so, you know, like I, I did that. I played with him and then I uh, took another gig that paid me more money. And I was just a hired gun and I wasn't getting to be creative. I was just getting told, you know, hey, learn the parts, learn the songs like they are, and and that's your job. And, you know, I just kind of felt like, man, I'm leaving a whole lot on the table here playing for somebody else. Um, but I kind of got burned out on, on the shows because, you know, it, um, just just all of it. It wasn't my project. It wasn't my songs. I was just playing songs that were already written, and I just didn't have a connection to the music like I wanted. And uh so I, I built a studio. I started getting into the studio world. Um, 
I've, I've produced on other songs and, and engineered a lot of other songs that are out. Um, and I was done with the live music. I was just, I'm going to stick to production, stick to studio. That's where I like to be. Um, and Brock came in and, uh, we wrote a couple of songs together. We recorded a couple of songs. Um, and that was kind of the birthing of the weather soul. It was a long project of long startup of, um, just getting a catalog of music first. Um, then let's find some guys that like the music and want to be in the band. We sent it to a couple people in some production, uh, in the production world. And they, they thought they got on board with us and kind of helped us out. And here we are. Uh, but yeah, it's just, I think that, you know, that was kind of what got me into being in the studio world is just honestly being a musician that wasn't listened to. For such a long time, it's like I have ideas and I have I have, you know, I've got things that I want to get on the table. But I've been, you know, my job was to shut up and play what, what I'm told to play. And so that kind of pushed me to go do my own thing. When you talk about, you know, creating and producing and engineering and, and, and with your studio. What have you learned from the producers and the engineers that you've worked with? So I don't have a lot of experience working with other producers because usually I am do, I am the producer in the song. I'm a musical guy. Um, I enjoy I, I enjoy writing 100% from start to finish a song. I, I write backwards. Um, I write backwards, I guess. Um, I always start with music, do lyrics last. That's just the way I do it because I'm a guitar player. I'm a music guy. Um, so I don't really have much experience with working with other producers. We just worked with Tyler Baker from Goodbye June. Love those guys. I uh, love Tyler. And um, that's one of those. That's a good question because that's a lot to do with trust. Um, when you're when you're taking your project that you've been working on for a year and a half to almost two years and you're bringing somebody on board. um you're asking a big, you're asking them to just be as connected to the project as you are. Um, so I think that's the first key to working with somebody is just, you have to trust them because if you're, if you're working with them and you don't trust them, why are you working with them? doesn't make any sense. Um, so I, I like to work with producers now, especially for my own music, because it makes me not so attached these days. Like I enjoy writing the songs and demoing the songs, but I don't enjoy so much writing the songs, demoing the songs, recording the songs, mixing the songs, mastering the song. That's too much for me. I get too emotionally attached to it. And uh, that affects, you know, turnaround times. That affects the overall sound sonically of a project. If I'm too attached and I can't get over how a mix sounds. And so that's why we felt for this new record coming out, you know, we got to get some other ears on board and some people that we trust that can help us push this to the to the max potential level you know i think that there's value in in working with somebody that hasn't been so attached to a project for a year and a half i think you know you you, you've been hearing the same song for a year and a half it's hard to let go of how that song is before you hit the studio you get somebody else who hasn't heard it at all and they spout off 10 new ideas that are better for the song like you know that's a that's a big deal they can bring they can just kind of bring it back to life which it's huge. That's all. That's what the studio is. Let's bring these ideas and let's get, let's bring them to their max potential. And that's what producers do. And that's what, that's what Tyler was able to do with us. And 
Um, as far as my experience goes, working with them, like I, I hands down for our personal projects, we're we're we're, we're going to keep going that route. It's just the best thing for us, we think. Yeah, I know Tyler pretty Sorry, well. That was a question. He's been on the show uh, a, a few times, so Tyler's uh, good people and and good on you guys for for working with them. Um, oh yeah, you know you you mentioned the trust and having someone in the room. How difficult was that for you to go into this and and realize what you just said? Like how how difficult was it for you to kind of let go on the music that you created? Honestly, um, I kind of told myself before going into this, like, you know, I had a long, just, just thought about it myself. Um, just told myself, listen, you know, if I'm going to do this, we have to, you know, like I said, you got to trust them. There were, uh, it was honestly, once I got over that bridge of not being so connected into what we had already done, it, it was easy. There was, Tyler changed lots of things. Uh, he produced lots of good ideas. Um, and honestly, we, we, we went with most of them. There were like two mm. things that we, uh, two things on the record. We we're like, man, we got to keep it like this. And, uh, and uh, it was easy. It was easy when you, we got lucky because I'm sure there's a lot of people that go in and, and, and work with a lot of people where it doesn't go so smooth, but there was a good understanding before we ever even went step foot into the studio of what we wanted, how we wanted it. Um, we even had a good understanding of what changes were going to be made because we went in a couple weeks prior and did some pre-production with Tyler and kind of hashed out um, a lot of ideas. But um, it was easy. It was easy to trust him. I, we played with him a bunch. I, me and Tyler talked one-on-one a ton about it before we ever even started pre-production. And so I just knew he was the guy. That's why I asked him to do it. And and um there's no looking back once we started and it was, it was easy. You know, I'm glad, I'm glad we did what we did. Yeah, definitely going up there for pre-production. Um, Cause Holden and I had gone up to Nashville and we, it's four days and that was, that was really cool. Cause that was time for us to sit down and really figure out, you know, what we wanted to do and how we were going to go about the changes that were made and also get to know Tyler a little bit better. Um, and I think overall it was just as comfortable because we knew the, the background that they'd had, um, especially Goodbye June. They worked along with Paul Moak and the connections that, that Tyler had up there. We knew we were going to be in good hands. It was just like Holden said, he had to get over that hump because he'd done everything himself. All the production that we had done and all the recordings that we had done had been in-house and done by him. Um, but it was it, it did get easier. Like he said, he just had to get over that hump. And um, once he did, once we all did, it was just we're all happy with the, with the outcome. Did you guys record at Paul's studio? We didn't go to Paul's. We actually went to Paul's assistant, Nathan Sexton. Um, he's his right hand man. I think Nate has actually had a lot of hand in goodbye June records. I think he's done a lot of session drums for their uh, tracks. Um, but Nate's a great engineer, especially working under Paul Moak. That's somebody that you, uh, you're working under Paul Moak, you know, your shit. And mm. so Nate knows his shit and he's got a lot of cool gear, which is the first thing I looked at. I'm a gear nerd as far as, um, studio gear and, you know, live gear, whatever. Uh, I'm a nerd. So I just went to the page and started looking and looking at all the gear and, um, and we made a good decision there too. It was awesome working with Nate. Um, uh, it definitely was work. We were, we were in Nashville for 12 days, live cutting a record. I mean, emotions were definitely high at some point. We're not trying to make this thing sound like it was a cakewalk because, uh, 
cutting records sucks, especially with a full band. You got six piece band. It sucks. Um, especially you, you're working on one song for all day long. And, you know, me personally, I never messed up. So, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just, I'm just messing with you. You know, you have a perfect take three takes in a row. And then, you know, you've got a couple guys that are messing up a part here, or even me messing up a part here when everybody else has a good take like that. Tensions, uh, tensions arise, uh, in the studio, but, um, obviously it's nothing we couldn't handle. And it was a first for us. It's the first time we've all been in a studio. It's the first time I've ever live tracked a, a record. Um, it's the first time I'm pretty sure all of us have live tracked a record. And that's just, uh, that's something else. That's a whole nother conversation. If you ever get a chance to go to Paul's studio, I highly recommend it. It's, it's, it's oh yeah, I'm sure I'll, I'll go eventually. Yeah. It's awesome. It's really an awesome is. name too. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul's such a, a great dude as well. Um, and, uh, the guy, I mean, I just going there is inspiring when you walk in yeah. and you see everything and it's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous studio. If I ever built a studio, it would probably resemble something along the lines of that. But, oh, yeah. um, you know, you know, Brock, you come from a country background. Now you're in the weathered souls, Southern rock. How, how much of a challenge was that for you to come from that background and, and be, I don't know if accepting is the right word or, or be willing to kind of go into more of a rock format, more of a rock, a rock band. It, it was, and it still is pretty challenging. Um, you know, cause the vocal melodies are quite a bit different. Um, so coming from the more, you know, I'm a singer songwriter type guy. So I take a lot of inspiration from like, uh, Tyler Childers and John Moreland and Jason Isbell, stuff like that. So just more mellow. And then you switch to the rock and holding and keeps writing these songs that the melodies are up there. And he's like, dude, you gotta like, you gotta push yourself. Like you gotta step out of your comfort zone. Like this has to be badass. Like you gotta go balls to the wall. You gotta do it. Um, so that's definitely been a challenge, but you know, we wouldn't be here without it. And, um, definitely him pushing me has been challenging, but it's something that I've grown to love. Cause you know, if he, if he didn't do it, nobody was going to, um, cause that's something that I'd never thought of. Like I said, I didn't grow up around rock. I don't typically listen to a lot of it. Um, and then we started working together and hanging out more and spending more time together. And that's, that's a big chunk of what he listens to. So he's always like, you should listen to this. Like, this is, this is something you should try to, you know, accommodate into, into our work. And, um, it, it definitely has been challenging, but it, it's, it's gotten easier a little bit, <laughs> a little bit, a little yeah, bit. Complacency kills. If you get complacent with where you're at, then you're not, you're not, uh, you're not getting any better. If your complacency is like, you know, that's been my whole thing with the band, with all of the band guys is I like to change the set list. We don't want to play the same set over and over. So honestly, it feels like every show is a new set. And uh, a lot of these guys that are in the band um, are not used to that. And uh, they are now. They weren't when we first started. And so, you know, it's just one of my things. It's we need to just stay on our toes and just constantly be getting better, you know, because if we're not, then what's the point? And, um, and like, you know, Brock was talking earlier that he realized once we kind of ventured into this rock thing, um, it's way more enjoyable to play live. You know, you can get a way better reaction from, you know, 
hard to handle than you can Amarillo by morning. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) pretty big energy. Like that's the big difference. And that was kind of where we were at. It's like, do you want the Amarillo by morning energy or do we want this hard to handle? Like, let's bring it, you know? And, and we just, we just got decided that's, that's the route we're going to take. And we're still learning, you know, we're never going to stop learning and trying to get used to, we're not, we're not going to box ourselves in either. So I'm sure our sound is always going to be changing just a little bit, you know, even the songs we've written since we've cut the record have started to change. And, you know, it's like you said, complacency kills. We're always trying to be open-minded and, and, and write that way as well. So it's like, you know, we have songs that sound like this, but we also have songs on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like be as versatile as possible. Cause you know, we want everybody to enjoy our music. We know it's not going to be the case. There's going to be people that aren't going to like it. You know, we're not going to be for everybody, but if we can, if we can do what we love and still have a pretty good majority of the populations from both sides of the spectrum that enjoy our music, then that's, that's a win-win. Well, I do feel that Southern rock, especially out of all the subgenres of, of rock music does have a close connection with country because those bands kind of do go in and out. I mean, you think of Blackberry Smoke, you know, who you talked about, you know, there's always a, yeah. a few songs on their albums that could be a country song, you know, and not yeah. country pop, but like country, old school country, you know, and, you know, Almond Brothers did it, you know, uh-huh. Leonard Skinner's got elements of country in there too. So, you know, when you think of rock and you think of country and you, and you kind of merge them together, it is more or less Southern rock, you know? I mean, yeah. The, 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 yeah. You can't take the South out of a Southern man, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's going to be in the music, whether you want it to be or not, like it's in there, you know, for, for writing, you know, and, and kind of the approach when you're both writing, how do you push yourselves, you know, with, within the band, how do you push yourselves as an artist to get the most out of your creativity? For me, I mean, um, it usually starts with the music and then I'll send over, uh, the mute, like the whole song almost completely done. And sometimes I'll have some lyrics thrown in there. Sometimes it'll just be a melody thrown over the top. Just so Brock has an idea of kind of what I was hearing in my head vocally. Um, but for me to get in that, get in that mindset, um, it's a lot of just sitting in front of the monitors with the lights down low, a joint burning, and uh, just listening to records. I mean, I think, honestly, the best way to tell how I'm feeling in a song, or uh, let me rephrase that, the best way to determine a Weathered Soul song is kind of like, you can go listen to other artists and know who I've been listening to before I wrote, you know? I mean, that's the best thing. Here's the thing. Nothing is original these days. It's already all been done. So my, my, and I, I've got that made up in my mind that there's originality is almost, it's impossible. We were born 50 years too late, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but Mike Miley, the drummer for Rival Sun, sat me down when we were on that tour and told me something that I'll never forget. And he said, what makes a musical genius is being able to take a song, bend it, restructure it, and re-release it, and make it bigger than the original artist that you stole the idea from. He's like, that's a genius. And that's what people are doing nowadays, you know? And so to get into that mindset, you know, I just, 
I, I go in spells, too, of what I like to listen to. So right now I'm on a Marcus King kick, the new Marcus King record that Dan Auerbach produced. Like, that's on repeat, and it has been for the last six months. So uh, Weathered Souls record number two is going to be very stripped down, uh, you know, mono overhead, stereo drum, stereo room mic drum tones, old amps with fuzz pedals and, like, just true nitty-gritty songs. Um and it, you know that's that's me personally. I have to like get inspired by another artist for me to like get into it. You know, I love when new when my when bands that I listen to put out something new because it's it's a refreshment of. Whew, okay, they're still doing it, so can I. Um, so that's just kind of that's what I like to do. I like to just really sit and, and dive in, turn on the record player, and listen to a bunch of old records and just figure out, you know let's get a, a foundation of kind of what we're going for sonically first. And then let's think about a story. You know, I'm always, I'm the, I'm the studio guy, like I said. So I'm, I'm thinking about everything on a, on a listening spectrum, as far as sonically, how it's going to sound. How do we want this to be sonically? How do we want this to translate into, into um, you know, these people's cars before I, before I ever even think about the story, which is a blessing and a curse. Um, but that's just, that's kind of my process. I don't know. Brock, what about you? Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S.
I'm a little different. You know, it's like you said, he'll most of the time he'll have the whole song demoed out, at least from a scratch perspective. Like for the most part, it'll, it'll be done. And there'll be some changes that we may make once we get to playing it more or once there's a, a melody to it. But typically I'm sitting in my room by myself and I just listen to that, whatever he sends me on repeat. Or even if I try to write something from scratch, I'll just sit there with my guitar and dark, like complete pitch black, just sit there dead silence and just listen over and over again. And then I try to put myself in the mindset that I would be like, if I were just to listen to that song, how does it make me feel? Like what kind of mood would it put me in? You know, would I be pissed off or would I be happy? And typically it's pissed off, you know? (laughs) I'm like, it's true. Like the heavier stuff is just like, it gets me amped. Like I'm ready to run through a freaking wall. Like I'm about to pop somebody. So it's, I try to write stories to that, like how that makes me feel. Um, And the, the title, the opening track for, um, for this record, I'm really excited about because that was our first group, right? You know, and that was the first time for me being in that perspective where I'm not, completely isolated when I'm trying to write lyrics to a song, you know, everybody was together. Um, Holden and and Travis, our bass player, they, they found this lick and they just played it over and over again. And as soon as I heard it, I just sat there and pulled out my phone, started writing lyrics. And it, for the most part, it was, it matched pretty well what I, what the feeling that I was going for. And I'm really excited about that song, but it's, it varies from song to song, definitely. But I try to just, keep myself isolated to where you know i'm in silence and i just have nothing but my thoughts yeah you definitely have to like you know lock yourself out from the outside world whether that's a cell phone ding in like for me i put my phone on airplane mode or i'll just leave it at the house and then walk over to the studio but i can't get anything done if i don't like you know uh disconnect myself from the world basically Mm -hmm. um you kind of have to, or I have to at least. I know people that can write a song a day. Now, I'm not saying they're writing a number one hit, but I know some people that can write great songs, uh, one a day. Uh, but that's just, you know, I can't do that. I have to lock myself up. I may go six months, um, yeah. without even, you know, it's weird because I know, like, when I'm, when I'm, no, when I'm in a writing mood and I, and I know that something's coming on, like, I can genuinely, like, feel it in my bones. And I know I'm sure most musicians say that, and I hope I don't sound too too cliche, but I know when I, when I'm when I'm about to write a song, and I know if it's a song that's worth keep keep to keep working on, you know, because um, a lot of times where we'll sit back and we'll start something and we'll play on it a couple times, maybe even try it out at a couple rehearsals, and it's like, man, this song is just isn't it. I mean, we had a song called Lightning Bolt that for a while we thought this thing was killer. And we went to a couple studios, paid good money, cut it twice, and still never released it. I mean, if you go to a studio twice and you cut a song two different ways, two different times, and it's a year old, it ain't going to make the cut. That mm-hmm. tells you right there, the song is done, you know? Um, but so we do run into that all the time where, you know, you, you, you play a song and you think it's good and then you put it in front of somebody, you, you sit back and really listen and dissect it. It's like, man, this really isn't it. Um, so sorry, we kind of went off on a tangent for a while. No on that one, but. <laughs> no what was the biggest, uh, what was the most challenging moment in the studio for, for you guys or for each individual? 
Um, for me personally, it was, I, my body likes to do this thing. I'll get sick. Like my allergies are terrible and I'll get a cold or something will happen just days before we go do something big happens every time. So of course the day we're leaving for the studio, I, I look at Holden, I look at Travis. I'm like, I'm getting sick. And Holden's like, well, that sucks. <laughs> so the whole drive up there, I'm you know, taking allergy pills and drinking gallons of water. And then, you know, we get there and sure enough, I can't breathe. I sound like I'm talking with my nose plugged. So for me, it was just like, how can I get myself in the position where instead of just freaking out about it, how can I do everything I need to do to get myself ready in these next couple of days to be able to start laying down some vocal tracks? Um, and then that and the not showering, you know, we had, like you said, we spent 12 days up there and we took the RV up there. So we were staying in that and it was rough. You know, you get six guys in the, in that small of a confined space for that amount of time. It, it gets challenging. You know, you miss, you miss being home. You miss having, you know, some freedom and some space to walk around. But that was just my personal experience. And how about you, Holden? Uh, man, the toughest part for me is, and it's going to be for every session, um, trying to hear the final outcome from the first note. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest part for me in, in, in any studio setting that I'm always in. Um, it's hard to like when, when Nate's micing up the drums and he's getting drum tones and he's getting bass tones and, and we're getting guitar tones and we're, we're talking, you know, first, first thing in the morning or the day's plan and we're, we're still listening back to, um, unfinished things, it's hard for me. And I, and I should be the one to understand it the most of how much a song can change from OG tracks to mixed tracks, even mastered tracks. But it's, it's a, it's a mental thing for me. Um, it's, a, it's one of those things. It's a trust thing, you know? Um, I always distrust the engineer more than the studio or than, than the producer, because at the end of the day, the, the sonic sound is in the fingertips of that engineer. And so uh, it's hard to kind of hear what they're, what's going on in their mind until it's done mastered and it's in your hands. Um, that's, that's for me, that's the hardest part is just, is finding that, uh, that balance of, of trust within the engineer and, um, and, and then just understanding his thought process behind the, the song before we ever get going. So after about, after the third or fourth song, it was, boom, 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 you know, well-oiled machine one after the other. But those first couple days, you know, it was a lot of side meetings. and like, hey, are we sure this is kind of like what we want it to sound like? Because to me, this ain't it. And there were a few things where it's like, hey, we had to come back and say, hey, we would like to change this. We would like this to sound more like this. And that's common. That's every studio, every session you're going to go in. If you agree 100% with your producer and your engineer, there's something going on. You should be more attached to your song than giving up every idea that you've ever had on it. Yeah, um, there should be a, there should be a couple things that stick that you love, and if not, then I don't know. But so that 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 to me is the hardest thing. Um, but yeah, I think of there's a Pete Yorn record that was released ten plus years ago that he did with I think it was Frank Black, the guy who's the I, I think that's his name who's the singer of the Pixies. And there's a song on there called Rock Crowd. And 
when he did an interview several years ago, he talked about how he came into the studio with a head cold and the producer made him record it with a head cold. And you could totally tell in his voice because it sounds so different, but it also adds to like this gritty, honest feel to it that I don't think would have happened had he sounded normal, you know, sounded healthy. So it's, it's, it's got a little bit of a personality to it, which I think is really cool when, when stuff like that happens. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I guarantee a lot of people didn't even know until it came out way later on that he was actually sick. You know, we've yeah. come to determine like a lot of people, we're musicians. We hear every fault and everything. Um, most normal listeners, they don't know. They have no idea, you know, and they just listen to the song as a whole. Sounds good. It's a great song, you know, mm-hmm. but us, we tend to dissect things to the absolute, you know, microscopic way we can you know uh which yeah. is a blessing and a curse of being a musician but uh that's interesting that's a cool thing as far as the first two singles what was behind the decision of you guys releasing these you know as your introduction for your fans for your new music um so doing till the morning comes uh obviously we did that because we wanted to get the title track of the record out we wanted to get the album art out we wanted it's a it's a rocking song. Uh, we wanted people to know what's coming. Um, that's why we picked Rolling Thunder first because it's 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 still country esque Southern rock, but it still integrates that. Let's understand kind of for what's to come. The beginning of the song is kind of mellow, and the verses are mellow. Then you get to the end of the song, and you got phasers going on with crazy like hammers and like just cool heavy tones. So it. It's a little bit calmer song, um, and then we wanted to do, like I said, till the morning comes for the for the art and the title track, and to just represent, you know, this song represents the album. It's rock and roll. It's a story. Um, it's you know, it's real. Like that's that's kind of where we picked those two songs. Yeah, Rolling Thunder definitely just like in the studio. We knew that was going to be one of the better songs on the record. Um, and it was just out of excitement, you know, and knowing that it was still kind of a good balance. Like he said, you know, it's still got the Southern rock feel to it, but there's more of like a, you get a lot more rock towards the end of the song. Like he said, it starts off, you know, pretty mellow. And then towards the end, it's got all this, you know, super crazy, but cool sounding stuff going on. Um, so that was one in the studio we were super excited about. Um, and then till the morning comes, like you said, it's just, it's, it shows really well, like what the record is going to be about. Like it's, we're expecting to catch some people off guard with the overall sound of this record. Cause you know, like we said, our previous releases other than these last two singles have been more, you know, country or sounding, you know, there's still some Southern rock elements to them, but this record is, there's going to be no doubt we are a rock and roll band. What's next for you guys in terms of obviously the EP comes out this week and you guys are going to be rolling once that comes out. But what uh, what's on the agenda for the rest of the year? Um, we've got a couple tours. Uh, we've got a tour with 49 Winchester coming up. It's uh, starts in Santa Fe, New Mexico, goes to Denver, Kansas. We've got some more shows at Whiskey Myers all the way up to Seattle, Washington, Oregon. We've got some more festivals coming up, and I think we're going to actually headline some dates in Texas and around some bordering states towards the end of the year once we get this album out and get it rolling. Um, 
it's pretty much only up from here. You know, once you put out a full length record, it changes, it builds, it changes the name of the game for, for a band. And so, um, we're excited to get it out. Like I said, we've been, some of these songs we've been sitting on for almost two years now. And so it's, it's, uh, finally, you know, finally you yeah. get to put this thing out and, uh, we've already been playing the songs for two years. So here we get, to, we get to play them for another year. Uh, that's <laughs> not so fun, <laughs> but, uh, it'll be yeah, more fun. I mean, we can't, we can't wait. We can't wait to get it out. And, um, we're just going to keep playing more shows and we pretty much take, we play the, usually our booking agency. If they're going to send us, who do you, it doesn't matter who it is. We're going to go play a show. We just want to get our name out. We just want to play shows. And uh, that's the only way to do it. How can we grow if we're not playing? I don't care who we're in front of. 10 people, 10,000. We've done them both. It's like, it doesn't matter. Um, but we just, we just want to keep growing and we hope people like this record. And um, we know everybody's not and uh, we're okay with that. Uh, but we just, we're excited to get it out. Oh, yeah. What's the defining song from this album? Ooh, man. That's a good question. I'm sure all six of us in this band have six different answers. That's that's a Yeah, I will just say this. I will say this. Every song that I have picked and said that song's gonna be the best, that song's gonna get streamed the most, this song is gonna be the best. I've been right so far. <laughs> So I knew when we put out Miss Ray, like when I wrote that song a few years ago, I knew, I knew that song was going to be our biggest song at the time. I did not know that it was going to still be just like tearing all the other songs down as far as listens and streams go. Um, so hopefully that'll change with this new record. We're hoping it, we, we need a new song to pop off. So. I don't know. I would I... say the de- defining song, man, the defining song is the crow. Yeah, that's uh that's one that Holden and I wrote summer of twenty twenty one. And it's it's got it's a it's all acoustic. Um the way we recorded it was Holden and I sat in the same room about six foot apart. He had a mic facing his guitar and I was singing into a mic. And we shut the doors, just let the tape roll, and it was just all live from scratch. It was it was a really, really cool atmosphere. And then we went back and our keys player put some cool whirly stuff in there. Um and there's like a, that was a whirly from nineteen like sixty seven with like a fifties RCA OG ribbon mic on it over the shoulder. So the sound was insane. That's one of the ones I definitely like put my foot down on because uh uh, Nate and uh, um, Tyler were trying to get Cameron to use this old upright piano and they wanted this like old saloon sound. And I like, I let them like say that for like a couple of hours. And like when it finally <laughs> comes time to do the keys tracks, I'm like, I know y'all want piano on there, but no, <laughs> no, it needs whirly. It needs a whirlitzer. And uh, they kind of fought me on it. And I definitely was fighting back hard. I'm like, no, we're putting the whirly on there. And then we did. And it, immediately the first note Cameron hit, everybody just kind of looked at each other. and was like, Oh shit, this sounds awesome. So, uh, uh I'm glad, got- I'm glad they let me win that argument. Yeah. That battle. 
And there's a, a bunch of really cool percussion towards the end as well. Like there's a big whooshy kick drum that just kind of drives the rest of the song. Yeah, it was a 28 by 14 kick drum that was just like open. We like threw keys down on the snare drum for the snare tone. A lot of nerdy things that most people probably don't care about, but. That's cool. There's a song on the record called Bad Cat Boogie. Uh, I love to play it live. And it's actually called uh, Bad Cat because we were using Tyler's um, Samson era Bad Cats, which I don't know if you're a, an amp guy, but Samson is a, he, he made these amps mm-hmm. called Matchless Amps. He like joined the company and, and designed the circuitry in them. Anyways, uh, there's a very specific uh, model a bad cat that's very rare and very expensive. And, uh, we're day two, three. day two here, day two or day two, day two or day three. We're, we're getting ready to hit record to get in the red and, um, amp sounding awesome. And we just hear the smoke alarms going off. Long story short, we burned that bad cat down to the ground. I mean, fire in the amp room, like fire burning in, fire extinguisher like putting the fire out like um the amp couldn't handle the heat you know and uh we we were bringing some heat that morning and uh any of us were standing so a- around the amp they were just looking at it there's a big old hole in it <laughs> all the men out of the front the speaker just blew up and we're just all just blew like, up. what in the world like we're all freaking out and we're like dude tyler we're so sorry man like that's that's an expensive amp. And like, like you said, they're super rare. So we all felt really bad, but at the same time, like that's rock and roll, man. <laughs> uh, I think, I think the amp is okay now, but long story short, again, the song is called bad cat boogie because of that. So if, if any, if anybody's listening, you know, and uh, they'll, they'll get a cool backstory on that, which we're not going to tell everybody about that just to keep it, keep it sentimental. So it's just told everybody. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Not everybody, but you know, it's a cool story. It's a cool story about the amp, Bad Cat Boogie. And we got, we actually posted a video this morning, um, of the amp. Uh, so you can check that out. But yeah, it's cool. It's hard to pick a defining song, by the way. That's a really hard thing. And I think out of the gate, the, the song, it's called Don't Pray for Me. It's the opening song and it sets the tone, man. And that's yeah, the one you I like was- Audio Slave. I'm sorry, what was that? Do you like Audio Slave? Oh, absolutely. That was the reference track. I played Cochise for Tyler and Nate, and I was like, this song, reference track, let's get it. And that song, we just, first song, first day, went in, killed it. And so uh, that's, when we say rock, you, you're going to get some of that from oh, this it record. It it rips. So that, yeah. for me, that's a... That's one of the defining songs because straight from the jump, like it starts with the drums and you're just like holding on tight because there's some. Yeah, that's a that's an all gas, no brakes. Yeah. Yep. And the last report you saw is probably my favorite, um, my favorite song on the record as well, because it goes out with a bang. Um, and lyrically, that's one of the one of my favorite songs that I've ever written. So it's it's got a lot of cool aspects to it. This it is hard to pick one defining song. Tell everyone where they can get the album. Do what? Tell everyone where they can get the album. Um, it'll be on all digital streaming. Um, we're waiting on vinyls. I was told August. Uh, whenever we get those in, 
Um, we're going to post them to the website, and they'll be available at theweatheredsouls.com, uh, as well as all of our other merch. But, yeah, the album will be out on everything tonight at midnight, your local time, and uh, uh, Amazon, Apple, Spotify. And so, yeah, I mean, um, if you guys enjoy it, tag us while you're listening to it and uh, share it with all your friends, and that's how, that's how this thing works, you know? Spread the word. So, uh, yeah. Midnight if you're on the East Coast, 11 if you're in Central Standard Time. And Probably. 1 a.m. on West Coast, or 2. <laughs> no, they're they're behind us. They're like three hours behind us. It'd be like 8 it'll o'clock. Be, it'll be 10 o'clock. Well, yeah, 10 o'clock. It's going to be 1 o'clock. It'll be 1 o'clock for us. Yeah. Midnight for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, guys, it's been a blast. Exciting time for you guys. Exciting time for the band and your music. Man, yes. I can't wait to uh, to hear the full record. And thanks again for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having us. Having us. Awesome. For well, everyone, that's Brock and Holden. This is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Me Podcast. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Take care of each other. We will talk soon. Thanks. I met a rambling man down in the swamplands. He had holes in his jeans. With a lining bolt tattoo Whiskey in his left hand He had a pistol in the right hand He said, run, baby, run Just don't let him get you He said, run, baby, run Run with me Well, I'll meet you in the bottoms By the old, old tree It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.